down to reality. Amen. Thank you very, very much. Well, our subject is Babylon, and uh, we began with the history of Babylon, which is in the Bible, Genesis 10 and 11. The one who was rebelling against God was named Nimrod, who's the son of Cush, who's the son of Ham. Remember, Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth all came out with their wives from the ark. Uh, People ask me all the time, have they found the ark? Uh, The answer is a very clear yes. Certain people have found the ark. Has it been, uh, you know, verified and all of that? The answer is no. Uh, Evangelical, probably greatest archaeologist is... um, Uh, Randall uh, Price, who has written so many wonderful books. If you ever see anything by Randall Price, just buy it. Don't even ask any questions. He's an excellent writer. Uh, He became very popular years ago with the book, When the Stones Cry Out. Excellent book that tells you why you should know the evidences that are there. Every time we deal with this, there are people who say, Oh, that isn't true. That's a rumor. Well, let me tell you what is true. Randall Smith, with a team of 20 people, uh, they know exactly where it is. They went up uh, to the range called Mount Ararat, and they were at 12,000 feet where they set up camp. Unfortunately, uh, a blizzard came, caused great damage. Four people died. Even Randall's uh, extremities were, uh, we were wondering if he was going to lose his fingers and toes. But as it turned out, God intervened. He plans to go back. They know where the ark is. It's in a glacier at 17,000 feet. He had four, I believe it was, uh, four members who were Cush, uh, not Cush, Kurdish. um, And they have been in it. And uh, so they know where it is, but and they also had the plans to pull it out of there. Uh, you don't often have the opportunity, because uh, it's in a glacier, uh, it's way above the snow line, and uh, it's dangerous. But they intend to pull it out by helicopter, and similar to what they did to the Jesus boat in the Sea of Galilee. You have to be very, very careful that you don't damage anything. Well, they were prepared for it. Now, isn't it interesting that uh, a lot of things are happening right now that should be getting you excited? Hello? Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. You think I'm talking about the Republicans winning, and no, I'm not. (laughs) Well, this week, I, I actually put an article on our website, and boy, we got blasted. I knew we would. You know, a lot of the so-called Bible teachers who are liberal-oriented are wrong on the date of the exodus from Egypt. It wasn't at the time of Ramesses. It was almost two centuries before that. And the truth of the matter is, they still are arguing that the Red Sea is a sea of reeds. It was shallow water, and a wind blew it off, and they, you know... uh, started to argue that God let him go across on dry land and all of that. So I know the liberal arguments, and I have no desire to tell you those. And if you want to read them, they're everywhere. 
But how about the truth? You see, a few years ago, two Canadians who are not Christians took their brand new, uh, I don't know what you call them, they're like mobile machines, they're, they're unmanned, and they go down as deep as 3,000 feet. And uh, they were unsatisfied with all the maps and arguments about where the exodus took place. You know, as you come out of the Indian Ocean and the Persian Gulf, there are two uh, tributaries. One, uh, of course, we put the Suez Canal at the end of that. And that's the one they think they crossed. No, they didn't. Why? Because the Bible says when they crossed, they were in the land of Midian. Well, the land of Midian is east of the Gulf of Aqaba, which if you're looking at a map, is on the right-hand side. Now, there's only one place, and I have been there myself, so I know what I'm talking about. There's only one place where there's enough land coming out of that mountain range where you could get two to three million people on the sand. That's one of the problems. What the problem is, that if you cross there, it's a thousand feet deep. It is a coral sea. That's another interesting fact, because at the time uh, in the Middle Kingdom when this happened, around 1446 to be exact, B.C., uh, the chariot wheels of Egyptian chariots were solid metal. Well, coral does not attach to metal. But the spokes of those Egyptian chariots were wood. And coral does attach itself to wood. So this is an interesting problem that they would have. Well, when these two guys sent those unmanned machines down a few years ago, lo and behold, they found a few items. But it, it can't be a few. Now, this Gulf of Aqaba, which is a beautiful place, I've been on it uh, and uh, sailing on it, but anyway, it goes out into the Persian Gulf of Indian Ocean. And it is beautiful, to say the least. But the water would flow. You remember all the problems they had in searching for that Malaysian airliner? This is a similar problem. So over the years, uh, the currents would push that stuff further out. Well, we all were somewhat shocked as just a couple of weeks ago the Department of Antiquities in Egypt sent divers down into the Gulf of Aqaba. And lo and behold, with cameras. And they found where, well, at least the results of the children of Israel crossing. They actually found 400 skeletons, but they saw over 5,000 skeletons. And they found the wheels exactly like I described. And they found so many artifacts, including some Egyptian weapons from the Middle Kingdom. It was amazing. And the Department of Antiquities in Egypt, which is not fundamental or Bible-believing by any stretch of the imagination, all of a sudden has shocked the archaeological world by saying they definitely know it was in the 1400s B.C., not the 1200. So that the Bible literalist guys are correct. Well, that was kind of a quiet response to some terrific stuff. 
Amen? So now, if you'd like to repent, they found it exactly like the Bible teaches it. Okay. All of that to say, Babylon has been ignored for a long, long time. There have been little pamphlets, uh, articles in several prophetic magazines about its possibilities and its connection, most of which was about Revelation 17 and 18, which we will be getting to in the next session. And it is indeed interesting, to say the least. We are talking now about the king of Babylon. And this is probably the most neglected part of people's studies about Babylon, because it's not easy to work with. There are two passages of Scripture. You might want to write them down so that uh, you can read them later. I'm going to deal a lot with one. We have a passage about the king of Babylon in Isaiah chapter 14, which I'm going to read if you're getting your Bible ready to follow along. And the second passage is Ezekiel 28, which refers to this king of Babylon as the prince of Tyrus, or of Tyre, T-Y-R-E. I will tell you a little bit about that. Uh, the book that we thought we had many copies of for you last night were all sold last night. I, I'm kind of shocked. I called our office. I said, you're not going to believe this. But that book on Babylon is all gone. I don't have any for the people today. What, do you want us to send it? I said, no. Why? Because that will increase the cost of it. But anyway, you can get Babylon off of our website. Babylon, it's history and prophecies. It is brand new release. I've been writing on that all during this past year. In that book you're going to find details you'll not find anywhere else. People say, well, how do you know what you're talking about? Well, I did a doctorate on the whole subject of Babylon and the gods of Babylon, what we call Babylonianism, and how it has infected the entire world, which is what the Bible says it has done. So I'm going to agree with the Bible, even though you and I can't decipher at this point what it might be that is Babylonianism. But uh, when you read this book, you're going to be a little shocked. It attacks almost every single religious practice of Christians today. You're going to be a little shocked. Some of the things that you hold dear are nothing but pagan practices. Why don't you at least smile at me instead of looking so mean this morning? <laughs> so there's more in the book than you're going to get, okay? So take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 is a very interesting chapter because you don't get to the king of Babylon issue right away. It doesn't come till verse 4. So um, let's start the king of Babylon, chapter 14. And I'm going to read um, the opening three verses and they're primarily dealing with prophecies given to Israel that will all come true. Put it up there so you can write it down while we're dealing with it. Prophecies given to Israel that will all come true. And this is setting up the discussion of the deception and seduction 
of Babylon. Okay? Isaiah 14. For the Lord will have mercy on Yaakov, or Jacob, and will yet choose Israel and set them in a land that belongs to Islam. Huh? Well, finally we have somebody looking at your Bible. No, the Bible says he's going to set them in their own land. And the strangers, meaning non-children of Israel, shall be joined with them. Boy, is that ever true. Do you know how many? Because the Bible says they're going to come out of every country of the world. How How many countries are there? Well, if you see the Verizon billboards... They said you can hear Verizon in 200 countries. Well, that's interesting because there's only 193. Verizon got a little wild on that one. Maybe they're going to put the phone system in on the moon. I don't know. But they got 193, and they just got number 193. That's South Sudan, which is, by the way, a Christian country. And they're continually having problems with North Sudan, Ethiopia, Libya, Tunisia. They are all causing trouble and wanting to eliminate Christians completely. That's another subject, by the way, but a pretty serious one these days. So the Lord says that strangers will be joined with them. Well, how many are there? Out of 193 countries, we already have 185 who have Jews living in the land of Israel. That comes directly from the Immigration Department of Israel. That means only eight countries are left, and you better pack your bags. We're going home. Our Lord Messiah is coming. But I believe he's going to fulfill his word to the very letter. You can count on everything he has said, which is the point on the screen above you. The prophecies given to Israel will all come true. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. And the people shall take them, bring them to their place. The house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants, handmaidens. They shall take them captives whose captives they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. And it shall come to pass in the day that the Lord shall give them rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from the hard bondage wherein thou wast made to serve. Let me stop right there and tell you the following things. Number one, the compassion of the Lord will be experienced. It says, verse one, the Lord will have mercy on Jacob. I thank the Lord for that. When Babylon, listen carefully, destroyed Jerusalem, Israel, if you read it carefully, the villages and homes as well, not just the temple of Solomon. They absolutely devastated the land. They killed over a million Jews. They took over a million captive. How many were left? 50,000. They left them in the land to be agricultural. And every year, Babylon would come and pick up the results. It was a terrible situation. 
Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Very interestingly, was offered by Babylon an estate and everything he could ever want if he would come to Babylon. Why did they do that? Because Jeremiah is the prophet who predicted that Babylon was going to do this. So then Babylon, when it actually happened, decided to reward him. Jeremiah said, no, I'm going to stay with the 50,000 here in Israel. They have no homes. They're starving. But I'm going to stay with my people. It's a wonderful story if you haven't read it in the Bible carefully. Now, there are five chapters in your Bible and mine called Lamentations. Uh, actually, that is not the title of the book. I prefer to tell people what the title of the book is. For instance, Deuteronomy, which uh, in Greek means second law. But why doesn't anybody deal with the actual name of that book? The actual name is Devarim, which in Hebrew means words. It is talking about the words of God concerning the children of Israel. And even in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says all these things were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Folks, we need to read Deuteronomy as surely as anything else. That's just one example. The word for lamentations, the Hebrew word is going to be kind of funny uh, to you, but it is Now, this will be hard to tell folks that you know back at church. What did you study? What did David say? Well, he said that there were five chapters that Jeremiah wrote after the book of Jeremiah called, <laughs> That's a Hebrew word, how. And it is dealing with the judgment of God that fell upon his people by Babylon. How could this happen? Is it nothing to all you who walk by, who see what happened? You see, they were told by false prophets that Jerusalem would never be touched, that it was a holy city protected by God. Well, that certainly can't be proven at all, because Jerusalem has been attacked and destroyed 158 times. And they're asking, how could you let this happen? How could you destroy, let Babylon destroy our homes? We have nothing but these heaps of stone. And the burden on them was enormous. And Jeremiah's got to minister to them. So in chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, he said, that it's because of the mercies of the Lord that you're still alive. Because his compassions fail not. His mercies are new every morning. Imagine telling people who just experienced the total destruction of their city and their homes and their place of worship. And he said to them, His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Isn't that interesting? We have that song we sing, Great is thy faithfulness. And we love to sing it. But people don't remember what it's all about. It's about God's compassion and mercy upon His people. 
Why is there going to be a difference in the future from what Babylon did? Because of the mercy of the Lord. Amen? Why is your life going to be any different than all the hurt and pain and difficulties you've experienced? The mercy of the Lord. Great is His faithfulness. Amen? Here's the second thing. The choice of Israel will be a reality. It says, and yet he'll choose Israel. Now, Isaiah is just filled with this. In the last 27 chapters, God says over and over again to Israel, hey, things are going to be different. Don't forget, I chose you. Amen? Well, there's a third thing here. And that is that their coming to their own land will be fulfilled. It says he will set them in their own land. And once again, the last 27 chapters of Isaiah say it over and over again. So does Deuteronomy, so does other passages. And here's number four. The cleaving of other nations to them will occur. That's already happened in our time. And yet Israel is constantly attacked, criticized, etc., not only by their enemy nations surrounding them, but by their supposed great ally. Oh, by the way, have you heard about yesterday's meeting of Obama with the new congressional leadership? Have you heard it? How many of you have heard anything about it? Okay, three people. It's obviously moving. Forget it. Three people and me. Well, it was a luncheon with Obama doing the inviting because he knows that in the news uh, of what happened this week that he was put on the carpet by how come you've never met with him and yet you've said over and over again that it's their fault. You know how many times they tried? 52 times. That's a record. I mean, it's a record in two ways. It's a record written down. In other words, he can't get out of it. So what does he do? He invites them all to lunch. If you haven't read it yet, it's very interesting reading. It turned into an unbelievable, hateful argument at the lunch table. He had all the leaders of Congress there. And the truth of the matter is, what's bothering people sort of surprised the president. The congressional leaders say, the way you have treated Israel is abominable and anti-American, and you have not followed any of the presidents of this country. Now, they had documentation. What was the documentation? I have read it myself. It was written by Michael Oren, who was the ambassador to the United States from Israel. He studied at Harvard. His dissertation was on what? On presidential support of Israel throughout our history. There have been only two presidents who have ever not supported Israel. One, Jimmy Carter. Number two, Obama. So they blasted away. In other words, he totally misread what America has said. One of its major issues is we want you to stop your attitudes toward the nation of Israel, our best ally in the Middle East. And I pray, I'm praying that now, 
that God is going to open the hearts of our congressional leaders and we're going to see a brand new relationship to Israel. We're fortunate that Israel still thinks there's hope for America. I love the t-shirt you could buy in Israel. It has uh, some F-18s on it. And its message says, don't worry, America, Israel is behind you. Other nations are obviously attaching themselves as they're coming from all over the world. I was there, as you know, with a group of over a hundred. And we were shocked that out of Indonesia was 6,000 people coming to Israel. Former Muslims, now believers in the Messiah. And they came to honor Israel at the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, that wasn't all. They're coming from all over the world. And of all things, Japan has been pretty quiet, never really getting involved. Now they had several thousand people from Japan. Of course, it was a good deal that El Al gave them to fly to Israel. But anyway, here they are to celebrate again the Feast of Tabernacles. I remind you the Feast of Tabernacles called in Hebrew Sukkot where they go outside of their home and live in booths, tent-like structures. I remind you that that is symbolic and emblematic of a future day we call the Millennial Kingdom of the Messiah. We'll no longer be in tents. We will be in the palaces of the Lord's creation. Amen? And number five, the conquest of Israel is promised here. Uh, verse two, it looks like domestically as well as militarily and politically. For that, we thank the Lord. Here's a second matter, and that is the peace that the Lord will bring to the land of Israel. Listen, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but guess what? That's a prayer for the coming of the Messiah, who alone is the Prince of Peace and the only one that will bring peace to Israel and the world. That's verses 3 down to verse 8. And in there, there are three issues. One, the curse will be removed. Thank you, Lord. The ceasing of oppression is announced. You know, all Israel knows is that the nations of the world oppress them all the time. They tell lies. I mentioned last night a few of them. I could not believe it. The Associated Press, CNN, I could go MSNBC, they all lied about what happened in Israel while I was there with a group of 100 people. They lied, every last one of them. And I confronted them about it. Well, they threw rocks at a bus. Well, it wasn't our bus. You missed that one. But I want you to know that the News people of CNN especially, but also Associated Press, set the whole thing up. Got the rocks and got kids that are all over the place to throw the rocks. In fact, a couple of guys started to throw them early and they said, no, 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 our cameras aren't ready yet. <laughs> you know, I have people who will call me on the phone after they hear it on your website and they will be so angry at me, you cannot believe it. 
There's so much stupidity in journalism today because they don't really care for the truth. I had a CNN reporter call me last spring. And she said, um, I'd like to ask about your comments on the West Bank. I said, I'm not interested in the West Bank. She said, well, I was told that you were and that you have a very unusual viewpoint, that you believe it belongs to Israel. It does belong to Israel. I said, no, I'm more interested in the East Bank. She didn't know what that was. And at that point, I realized that she thought it was a financial institution, (laughs) not the sides of the River Jordan. And she said, well, that's dumb. Everything east, that's Jordan. I said, no, it's not. In the Bible, in the book of Joshua, we learned that all of that land was given to two and a half Jewish tribes, and we want them to give it back now. <laughs> she comes back on the phone. She's stuttering now. Is, is there anyone else there that I could talk to? The curse is removed. The ceasing of oppression is announced. May that day come soon. And the coming of peace will bring joy from all creation. Verse 7 and 8. What is God doing? He's setting us up as to why it hasn't happened. And it deals with the pomp, the pride, the arrogance of Babylon's king. Now you're ready. Verse 4. Thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. Notice, unnamed. And say, how hath the oppressor ceased? The golden city ceased. The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke... He that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and none hindereth. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee. The cedars of Lebanon saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller has come up against us. Hell from beneath is moved for thee. Who's he talking about? The king of Babylon is moved for thee. To meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy veals. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. 
They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, everyone in his own house, talking about burial. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch. And as the raiment of, raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword, that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden under feet, thou shalt not be joined with them in burial, because thou hast destroyed thy land, slain thy people, the seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. Prepare slaughter for his children, for the iniquity of their fathers, that they do not rise nor possess the land, nor fill the face of the world with cities. For I will rise up against them, saith the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and remnant and son and nephew, saith the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the bittern, and pools of water, I will sweep it with the basalm of destruction, saith the Lord of hosts. Okay, let's get into this. The pomp of Babylon is cut down. And who are we talking about? From verse 4, the king of Babylon. So let's look at the Bible and see what happens. First, the raising of the dead to meet him. These are kings, nations that have risen and fallen, all because of the deceptions, seduction of the king of Babylon. All the kings of the nations. By the way, my Jewish friends, I give credit where credit is due, have said that this clearly teaches that the dead are conscious. Wow. Did you think the Jewish people, many of them today not believing their own leaders, did you think that they believed that once you're dead, you're dead, and there's no response whatsoever? No. That is not the orthodox position. The orthodox position is those who are dead and in hell are conscious. Exactly like the New Testament teaches. Wow. And the reaction they have, verse 10, is art thou become like unto us? They all lost their power, their position, their influence. They are in hell. And now they're saying to the king of Babylon, what are you doing here? Are you like us? And verse 11, the result is rather gruesome, to say the least. You are brought down. And uh, verse 15, Thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And it's for, according to this passage, he is attacked by worms. Isn't it interesting? There's one in the New Testament who in all his pomp and glory at the time of the Apostle Paul tried to act like he was God. And so God didn't even wait for him to come. 
to hell. He killed him on the platform in front of everybody with worms eating him to pieces. I mean, that is in the Bible. God tells the truth. It's amazing, to say the least. So, let's take a look at the person behind the king of Babylon. I think all of you have jumped ahead already, and you know it is Satan, the devil himself. Amen? I beg your pardon? Hope you're all awake. The person behind the king of Babylon. It is indeed a difficult matter to discuss. First, the reference to Lucifer. Can you believe that there are Bible translators who believe this refers to the Messiah? No way. How they could get so messed up, they must not have read the entire chapter. No, it's referring to a play on Canaanite religion. You say, what are you talking about? The Hebrew word is halel, H-E-L-E-L. Maybe you want to jot that down and study it later yourself. In Canaanite religion, and remember the land of Israel was dominated by Canaanites when Abraham came into the land. One of the most wicked people to ever live. In fact, God told Israel to destroy all the Canaanites, which, by the way, they were not able to do because they wouldn't really trust the Lord God of Israel to get rid of 31 kings with their iron weapons and chariots who dominated Israel. Now, the Hebrew word Hillel is translated as morning star. And that's where they get confused with Revelation 22 and the words of Jesus. I, Jesus, the root of David, and the bright and morning star. Well, they're not the same. Uh, if you go to Canaanite mythology, and this may sound strange to you, but listen to me. I'm interested in truth. How about you? I don't care where it's found. I'm interested in truth. Why is the Bible referring to Lucifer as Hillel, H-E-L-E-L, which it does in Hebrew? I asked that question when I was doing uh, Hebrew grammatical studies in the book of Isaiah. Well, in Canaanite religion, folks, Hillel has a proper name, and Ishtar, the Babylonian goddess of sex and fertility, they were attempting a heavenly coup that failed according to Canaanite mythology. Everyone who was reading Isaiah would know exactly about it if they lived in the land of Israel. That's the reference to Lucifer. We're not done with that yet. And the realization of how he affected the nations. Verse 12 says he weakened the nations. If you want to know what the devil is doing, that's what he's doing. And the king of Babylon will remain the primary character through whom the devil will exert his influence. You'll see a little bit more in just a minute. In verses 13 and 14 in this chapter, we have the five I will statements of Satan himself. Look at this again. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. In the Old Testament, the stars are angels. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. (laughs) All you have to do is read commentaries on that to know how confusing it is. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And here's the classic arrogance. I will be like the Most High. Wow. Yet he's going to be brought down to hell. I wondered when I read this originally in the Hebrew that if what we had here in verse 13 was a reminder of the Tower of Babel. And I also thought in verse 14 we have a reminder of Genesis 3. I will be like the most. The devil knows that if you eat that fruit, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's, it's, it's so classic when you follow a satanic strategy. It doesn't change much. It's pretty, what, pretty well the same throughout history. Now, we have a phrase here in verse 13 called, In the sides of the north. I hope everybody's here. I'm not trying to make things difficult for you. But when I first read that in Hebrew, I was a little troubled. Why? Because what it actually says is on the summit of Zaphon. Z-A-P-H-O-N. And I thought to myself, what in the world is it talking about? The New International was trying to help us a little bit. Instead of translating literally, they said, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. Well, now I'm really getting confused. The same thing is said in Psalm 48, verse 2, about the city of our God. And once again, the sides of the north. Literally, the summit of Zaphon. The Revised Standard Version says, on the heights of Zaphon. What is this talking about? Mount Zaphon in northern Philistia was considered to be the seat of all the Canaanite gods. How interesting. So what the devil is saying, I will be top dog in the demonic world. You will all follow what I want in this world. Wow. Amazing, to say the least. And the result can't be avoided. Verse 15. What is the result? He was brought down to hell, the Hebrew word Sheol, to the sides of the pit, or the abyss, the bottomless pit. Well, uh, this thing is getting a little bit serious. What in the world are we talking about? Well, one thing, we're talking about the devil. Amen? But we have another passage. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, I am not able, because of time, to tell you all that's in the book called Babylon. But once you read it, you will understand much more than you do here. I don't want to confuse you, but you need to add Ezekiel 28 to your arguments about the king of Babylon. Everybody okay? 
Say yes. Yeah, okay. I don't know where you went. (laughs) Verse 11, chapter 28 of Ezekiel. Look at this text. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, Tyre, T-Y-R-E, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets, of thy pipes, was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. All right? We're learning he was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. There it is again till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness, I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, it shall devour thee. I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. Now for this, you need my book. You say you don't have any more back there. Well, you'll have to get it. Order it from our website. But I tell you the story of Tyre. Tyre, in addition to Babylon and probably Nineveh, was argued by its people that it would never be destroyed. Tyre had an island city off the coast of the Mediterranean in Lebanon today. The main city was still on the land um, of the Mediterranean Sea, but not in the sea. The island city became very powerful. In fact, it ruled the world, one would say. And It was known for its wealth and for its sinfulness. It was the center of idolatry and immorality for hundreds of years. Everybody who tried to conquer it, including Nebuchadnezzar II, who learned about it when he attacked Jerusalem, he could not do it. He besieged the city for 13 years, and they still stand. You say, well, when did it fall? It fall through Alexander the Great down in the 4th century A.D. And he actually built a ramp 
all the way out to the island city. And they didn't know what he was doing. They thought maybe to steal the possessions. They were getting ready for a fight. But instead, he had all of his warriors cross it and besiege the walls of Tyre. He brought it down and killed himself and his army. 30,000 residents of the island city of Tyre. And it was no more and has been no more. Rome in 64 AD tried to rebuild parts of it with aqueducts and uh, city infrastructure, but it never became what it once was. God's word is true. And it was written before the destruction. It's interesting. A fifth thing that I would bring to your attention is the remembrance of what he had done would be judged severely by God. And that would involve three things according to verses 16 to 21. One, his influence over others would be mocked. Two, his importance would not be recognized by others. And three, his iniquity would bring tragedy and failure to his descendants, which is exactly what happened. So the purpose of God is going to be fulfilled. Isaiah 14, 22 to 27. It's based on the following things. One, it's based on the destruction of Babylon, interestingly. I will rise up against them, saith the Lord of hosts. Words like, I will make it. I will sweep it. God is in charge of the penalty being exacted. Secondly, it is based on the decision of the Lord himself. Verse 24 says, The Lord of hosts has sworn. Third, it's based on the deliverance that God is going to bring in verse 25. And finally, the determination of God in carrying it out. It says, For the Lord of hosts hath purposed who shall disannul it. Now, I don't know about you, but there is a lot in the Bible about the devil. Amen? And I'm not interested in making him more popular than he already is. But I am interested in knowing the truth about him. The Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I don't need to succumb to Babylonianism, even though the churches of the world are beset with it, as we shall see in our next session. A very disturbing session to Christian people. The king of the Babylon is the devil. According to the Bible, he deceives all nations of the world. He does it by immorality and idolatry. People often ask, why is immorality an issue? beside the fact that it's a violation of God's commands. The reason is that according to the book of Proverbs, when you get involved in immorality, it shuts off your ability to think straight. You are now going to argue for the acceptance and toleration of immorality wherever you are and to whomever you minister. It's going to dominate your life. It's going to fog up your brain so you can't know the truth. God's going to mess you up terribly 
And if you're involved in immorality, I plead with you. It's time to repent and get right with the Lord before it's too late for you and your family and friends. It's a very serious argument. Our nation, under this administration we have had for six years now, and we got two more, has become an immoral nation, and all the world knows it. We lead the world in pornographic interest. We lead the world in adultery. We lead the world in white slavery. We lead the world in abortion. What in the world is going on? The king of Babylon is active today. He was also the leader in Tyre. He is the one who is bringing all of the world, every single nation on earth, under his control and influence. And you're going to see that in our next session. But all that I want to tell you about Babylon and Tyre is in the book. I'm sorry. It's in the book. It would take me three to four hours to tell it all to you. It's quite a story. And it's about time the Church of Jesus Christ woke up to see what it really is. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Some of it seems very strange. And because we don't know the background of many ancient countries and cities, we are at a loss to discern how the devil is deceiving and seducing them all. God, I pray you continue to work on our hearts that we might see very clearly how Babylon, what you call a mystery, is dominating the nations of the world. May we see Babylonianism as a widespread deception that has now hit big time the churches of North America as well as Europe. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. In the blessed name of our Lord Yeshua, we pray. Amen.